growing in God's Word, and learning how to take up our cross and follow Jesus. This is Crosswalk from Cross Culture Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. There's all kinds of sexual temptation. There's all kinds of risk. So how do we reduce the risk of succumbing? I know I'm going to I know I'm going to face sexual temptation. How do I reduce the risk of giving in to that sexual uh, temptation? Let me give you three words. Location, isolation, limitation. Temptation comes in all shapes and sizes, but probably no temptation is bigger or more destructive than sexual temptation. In our culture today, sex has become a recreational sport, but God designed our sexuality for something better. God's call is to say, hey, I've got a different plan, a different way for your sexuality to be expressed in a way that honors me and that will be the most healthy for you uh, emotionally, psychologically, physically, in every way. Hello and welcome to Crosswalk. Last week in our series entitled Alone, we looked at David's famous battle against a giant named Goliath. It's a tremendous story of faith and courage. David was just a young teenage boy at the time, but he already was a giant in the faith. But, as Pastor Clay is going to explain today, many years later, David faced another giant, and this giant defeated David. We learned last week from David's faith. This week, I hope we can learn something from David's failings. 2 Samuel chapter 11 is where we find the story of David's great sin with Bathsheba. You and I face sexual temptation today as well. Pastor Clay is going to show us from God's Word today what we can learn from David that can help us have victory over the giant of sexual temptation. Thanks for joining us today. We are looking at biblical characters who faced something in their life alone. They faced something in their life alone. And uh, this week, we're looking at a, a, a biblical character by the name of David and uh, the giant that he faced alone. But now, wait a minute. Didn't we cover that? I think we covered that last week. We did look at a young man named David and a giant that he faced by the name of Goliath. And I hope, if you were here, I hope that you were encouraged and to some degree equipped with with some new tools as we looked at some some action steps that David took against his giant and how when those giants come into our life, and we I think we all readily agree, giants come. uh, They come into our life at different times, different seasons of our life. They may be different causes. It, it could be physical. It could be financial. It could be uh, marital. Just so many different ways those giants come. And, and what was, we could learn from David uh, when, those, when those giants come into our life that we can apply to have victory over giants of our life. Because David had a great victory over that giant. But the truth is David faced two giants in his life. One giant David defeated. The other giant defeated David. I'm talking about the giant of sexual temptation. Now, it is possible that just mentioning the phrase sexual temptation in church may make some of you squirm in your seats. But the truth is, sexual temptation is a problem that has to be addressed. It is a problem. It is a giant problem inside the church, outside the church. Sexual temptation is a giant problem. So, if you're squirming, at least that means you're, gonna, you're awake today, right? According to a uh, 2014 survey conducted by the Barner Group, I want to show you a few statistics this morning as we get started. A 2014 survey conducted by the Barner Group, uh, according to them, 
55% of men who identified themselves as Christian, 55% of men who identify themselves in the survey as Christian look at pornography at least once a month. Of those in that same barn group, of those men uh, surveyed who identified themselves as Christian, 35% of them uh, confessed to cheating on their spouse in an extramarital affair. The numbers are even worse when you look at uh, younger men. In that same Barna group, among men surveyed who identified themselves as Christian between the ages of 18 and 30, 77% of Christian men between the ages of 18 and 30 viewed pornography at least monthly. 77%. of those, 36% look at it at least once a day. In that Barna group, of those uh, surveyed, 32% admitted to being addicted to pornography. Another 12% believe that they very well may be addicted to pornography. That's 44% of the men surveyed in this, in this study who admit to either possibly being or definitely being addicted to pornography. That's 77% of men between the ages of 18 and 30 who look at pornography on at least a monthly basis. That's 55% of all Christian identifying men surveyed of all ages who confess to looking at pornography at least every month. It is a problem. It's a big problem. And listen, I haven't said anything about the women yet. Women can face sexual temptation as well as men. I know we tend to think of of sexual temptation and pornography as as strictly kind of a a male issue, but women can face sexual temptation as well. In a New York Times online survey of 3,000 women, 31% of them surveyed said that they watch porn every week. That's a third of all the women surveyed watch porn every week. 19% of those women admitted to having an extramarital affair of those 3,000 women surveyed. And interestingly enough, another uh, 6%, I think 6 or 7%, said that they did not want to answer that question. You don't have to be a psychologist to figure out why they probably didn't want to answer that question. And so that brings you to the, if you include those women, that brings you to the number of 26% of those women surveyed uh, have had an extramarital affair on their spouse. That's one in four, ladies and gentlemen. It's a problem. It's a big, giant problem. And you would like to think that in a church, this church or whatever church where the Word of God is taught, you would like to think that those percentages, those numbers would be lower. But quite honestly, the data says probably not. And if lower, probably not much lower. So, if If talking about sexual temptation makes us squirm a little bit in our seats, we're just going to have to squirm a little bit today, okay? Because it's an issue, it's a giant in people's lives, and we can't simply, we being the church, can't simply uh, bury our heads in the sands and and, and pretend it's not there. And I do not bring this up because I want to bring uh, guilt or, or shame or embarrassment upon anyone who who struggles with pornography or anyone who has, has, has struggled in fidelity in their marriage or anyone who uh, is, is 
operating in, uh, sexually in a, in a manner outside of God's uh, plan or will. I do not bring all this up to, to hurt anybody. or I bring it up because it's a giant problem. It clearly is a giant problem based on those statistics. And I bring it up because God has an expectation for our lives, for every aspect of our lives, including our sexuality and how our sexuality is expressed. As I've told many people, God invented sex, and I'm of the opinion it was one of his best inventions. But he also designed the method, the, the process through which our sexuality would be expressed. And, and, and this, this call to holiness, which simply means this call to, to be different or to, to operate in a manner different than the way the world would tell you to operate or the way the rest of the world operates. And so I bring it up because... Because God has an expectation on our lives. And by the way, I haven't even said anything about the, uh, the, the statistics on uh, teenagers and or single adults in general, whatever age they are, who have succumbed to sexual temptation and uh, have become sexually active in, in one way or another. It's a giant problem. And so it was uh, in David's life. And, and I want us to look today at his life and look at some things that w- we can learn. We learned last week from David's faith. This week, I hope we can learn something from David's failings. By the way, I always like to point this out to people. Uh, whenever we come to a passage of scripture uh, like this, one of the evidences of the validity of our belief in God and the, the accuracy of his, of his word is the very fact that stories like this are recorded in God's word. Because if this were a made-up book about a made-up God, which there are people that claim that, if there were a made-up book uh, about a made-up God, the people that made this book up would never include stories like this, like we're about to read this morning. They would never include stories like this. Because, I'm just telling you, that's, that's just poor salesmanship to make one of the heroes of the faith fall like this guy falls. You just wouldn't do that kind of stuff. It actually points to the validity of this, of this powerful book that you hold in your hands. So let's see what we can learn from David's uh, failings. We're in uh, 2 Samuel chapter 11. Then it happened uh, in the spring at the time when kings go out to battle that David sent Joab his, and his servants with him and all Israel and they destroyed the sons of Ammon and besieged Rabbah. But David stayed at Jerusalem. Now when evening came, David arose from his bed and walked around on the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a woman bathing. And the woman was very beautiful in appearance. So David sent and inquired about the woman. And one said, Is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? David sent messengers and took her. And when she came to him, he lay with her. And when she had purified herself from her uncleanness, she returned to her house. I want to start with this idea, having read 2 Samuel 11, verse 1 through 4. Here's just the first thing I want to say. Don't expose yourself to sexual temptation. Rule one, don't expose yourself to sexual temptation. Now, there is a sense, and this is obvious, you already know this, there's a sense in which, of course, it's impossible to not be exposed to sexual temptation, especially in the culture in which we live. We live in a culture saturated with sex, right? With the idea of sex and sexuality. And so 
uh, I mean, let's, let's face it, there's a sense in which you, you, you cannot escape sexual temptation. But that does not mean that you and I have to intentionally or, or unintentionally, we do not, there are steps we can take to not ex, to expose ourselves to the sexual temptation, right? That's what I'm saying. Just to give you a time reference, a time frame, uh, David is roughly about 50 years of age at this point in his life. So, if you do the, if you do the chronology, if you do the math from, from last week, it's been roughly about 35 years since David f- faced his first giant till J- David faces his second giant. It's been about 35 years from, from this point where David was this, this unbelievable, right? This unbelievable man of God standing strong in his faith and standing up to the, the giant in all of his armor and, and standing in front of all the people and saying, who is this Philistine this uncircumcised Philistine, I mean, he was just bold in his faith and standing and clearly the power of God was on his life. And David experienced great victory that day and he continued to experience great victory after great victory after great victory. He, 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 had, he had put all the, those that were, were threatening the nation of Israel, he put them all on the, on the run. Fame and fortune had flooded in to the nation of Israel and, and the people, the nation of Israel, they were experiencing uh, prosperity the blessings of God like they had never seen before in their life. It was, it was an amazing time in the life of Israel. And David was, was, was strong in his faith. But somewhere along the way, David began to slip. He began to let some things happen that he should not let happen in his life. He began to um, maybe just forget where he, had, where he had been and what God had been doing with him. Maybe the prosperity, maybe the success, maybe the whatever. Which brings me to a few ideas about David that I, that I want to share with you. And it looks like this. First, David was isolated when he shouldn't have been. Don't expose yourself to sexual temptation. How do you do that? One of the ways is to, to isolate yourself when you shouldn't be. David was isolated when he shouldn't have been. Uh, we just read it a moment ago, but there in Second Samuel chapter 11, the the chapter opens and the, the writer is very intentional with, with those words that he says, that he opens with these words. Now it happened in the spring at the time when kings go out to war, go out to battle, that David stayed home. He's trying to say something very specifically to us. And that is, is that David chose to isolate himself when he should not have isolated himself. He chose to be by himself when he should not have been by himself. When, when the armies went out to war, it was traditional for the kings to go with them. It was, for, it was traditional for the kings to, uh, if not lead the battle, uh, literally to at least lead the battle by, by energizing the troops and to, to, to have a presence there so that the, the, the men could look up and they could see, oh yeah, David's here, he's, he's with us, he's, he's behind us, he's going to stand with us in all of this. David wasn't. David decided that, that he had reached a point where he could just stay home. Now, it may very well be that, that Joab, Joash, whatever the, guy's, the general's name is, it may very well be that he had the situation well in hand. But the truth is that by staying home, by isolating himself, David let sexual temptation get totally out of hand. He was isolated when he shouldn't have been. Second, David was idle when he shouldn't have been. Now, listen. Everybody needs rest, right? Y'all need to rest from time to time? Everybody needs rest. We all need to take our vacations if we get to take those kind of things. And if we can, it's always nice and good and, and to take those kind of things. We, we all need rest. We all need our 
times of break and down and all that kind of stuff. But listen to me, this was not that time for David. This was not the time when he should have been idle. David should have been there with his men, should have been there to encourage the men. You know what these men needed to hear? They needed to hear this. You, you remember this message from last week, uh, what David said when he was just a, just a teenager, right? He's 12, 13, 14, 15 years old. When he said to the, to the, uh, the soldiers, he said, and, and that all this assembly, remember this last week we read this, and that all this assembly may know that the Lord does not deliver by sword or by spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands, you Philistines and Goliath. He will do all this. That's what his men needed to hear. And apparently it's what David needed to hear. But David had forgotten that it's God that does this work. It's God that, that does this. David had come to this place where he just thought he could just remain idle. And listen, I haven't even mentioned anything up to this point about Bathsheba, right? And her part in this. At least prim- partly because we really don't know. We don't know what Bathsheba's part. I mean, we, we know that she engaged in sex with David and they had, a, but we don't know what what her part was in this to some extent where it says there I think in verse 4 that it says uh, David's servants took her it can simply mean that that they that, that that they requested her presence and she accepted the invitation from the king to attend that doesn't necessarily mean forced the text doesn't seem to read as if anyway she was forced but did Bathsheba feel pressured because I mean she's got an invitation to go to the palace from the king did she feel pressured Did she feel excited because she just got an invitation from the king? I mean, right? Some famous person or something like that. And we already saw last week in 1 Samuel 17, we already saw that David was good looking too, right? He was handsome. The text specifically said he was handsome. Now, I realize he was a teenager when the text was said that about him. And now he's in his 50s. But but men can still be good looking in their 50s, can't they, baby? She's not even listening to me. She's not even... That was... Men can, men can still be good looking in their 50s. Did, did she... Was, was she excited to get an invitation from the, the, the king? Did she know the king was back in town? Almost certainly. Everybody would know if the king was in town. She certainly knew that she lived in very close proximity to the king's palace. Did she know his routine? Did she know when he was in town that it was his custom to go up on his roof at night because it was, it was hot in the rooms and in the house and it was cooler up on the roof? And did she know that? Did she plan to just be happening to take a bath while, while he was out there? I, I don't know for sure. There, a, a scholar uh, by the name of Blakelock said that there is more than suspicion that she spread the net into which David so promptly fell, which brings me to the... To the third conclusion about David. David was an idiot when he shouldn't have been. I know. I know. It's probably not nice to refer to anybody as an idiot. Y'all have probably taught your children to not even say that. I'm sorry. And it's probably super not nice to say it about some famous biblical character. But the truth is, in this circumstance, David was an idiot. The truth is... When it comes to sexual temptation, men can be, say it, idiots. Idiots, right? Right? Because Listen, men, this, 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 not, this, this is not a shock to anyone, right? Men are sense-oriented. We're sense-stimulated. Sight, sound, smell, taste are, 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 are stimulants, to, right? Right? 
Men, men, if you're sitting beside your wife, do not play dumb with me, right? This does not come as a shock to her as well, okay? In the words of, in the words of Ray Barone, you've activated the launch sequence. And, and, and you, don't, you just don't un, undo that, right? I mean, here's, here's David, mm, naked woman. I mean, that's, that's, just the, that's just the truth, right? And, and he's, just, he's, just, he's just an idiot about this. And maybe, maybe it's, maybe he thinks it's going to be innocent. Maybe he's just in, oh, oh, that's, oh, that's Uriah's. Well, why don't you, why don't you just have her come on over to the house and we'll, really? Come on. <laughs> David's just an idiot about this. I'm just telling you. He is, uh, he, he, he's just, he's just not, he's just not looking for it. Now, again, what was Bathsheba? Uh, was she, did she set all this up? I, I don't know. But David was certainly ignorant of it. By the way, that's all the word idiot originally meant, by the way. It simply meant ignorant or, or an uninformed person of a situation. I don't know whether Bathsheba set it all up or not. But I can tell you this, that David was, was if she did, David was ignorant of it. He didn't, he didn't see it coming. He certainly was ignorant of Satan's schemes to bring it. Listen, don't... David was a man of God. David was a giant in the faith. You don't think Satan wants to bring that person down? He's a giant in the faith. David is a man that God himself, God himself said of David, this is a man after my own heart. That's that's who David was. That's where David was. You don't think, oh, come on. Satan, you really think Satan, just because David was this giant of faith and he de- defeated evil Goliath years before, you think Satan's been waiting around all these years, waiting for his opportunity to pounce and, to, oh, yeah, come on, you really think that? Okay, idiot. I'm, I'm just telling you, he, he absolutely does. And David was absolutely ignorant of his own weakness. He, he may have been ignorant of what Bathsheba was doing. He was ignorant of what Satan was doing. And he was ignorant of his own weaknesses. Because maybe, maybe like his army, maybe he thought, well, I don't even need to go out there anymore. My army's big enough. My army's strong enough. I didn't have to go with them. Got the Ammonites on the run. They're holed up at Rabbah. I don't even need to go down there. Maybe the same way. He's thinking, well, I can handle this. You know, yeah, okay. She's a good looking woman. And I, I you know, but I, I can, maybe he just thought he could. No, he, weakness. He's just He's ignorant of, of the weaknesses in his life, right? He just is. But it happens. It happened in his life. And I keep saying this, if it, ha- if it can happen in David's life, it can happen in your life or it can happen in my life. And God has an expectation that we would do it somehow differently than the way the world would generally do it. Okay, so let me talk about uh, a couple things here uh, to just try and make some application. How do, how, do we, how do we avoid doing this? Let's start with risk reduction. Okay? Risk reduction. I said earlier, we're never going to totally remove ourselves from sexual temptation. We live in a world saturated with, with sexuality and with sexual temptation. It's all around us, right? There, there are, you know, it used to be you'd have to order a magazine to come in a brown wrapper to be delivered to your house. This is what I've heard is how they come. I didn't, and, or, or you'd have to go to some little back alley shop like thing 
place. Right? Now, it, I mean, there are porn channels right on, right, right on your own TV, right? Right on your, your own TV. And, and you don't even have to, you, right? You know, you don't even have to go to the porn channels, do you? There's, there's plenty of sexually explicit stuff out there just on the regular channels, right? Right? What, what, about, what, about, your, what about your computer? What, do you, y'all know this. Well, maybe y'all don't know this. I hope you don't know this. But did you know that there are websites dedicated? If you're married, there are websites dedicated to helping you find a person to cheat on your spouse with? Anybody, anybody remember the whole thing about the AshleyMadison.com thing? I don't know, that was a year, a couple years ago? Where, where they, they, the website, it was a website for helping people find someone to cheat on their spouse with. And the website got hacked. And all the names, the people that were registered on that website were, were exposed. Can you imagine trying to explain that one at the dinner table? How your name showed up on AshleyMadison.com's website? Awkward. Right? But, but it's, it's, it's there on your computer. It, um, the, the, Tyler, my, my IT right-hand man, man, he's, he's amazing. But I was having some trouble with some of my emails. I was getting some emails in my junk file that I didn't want to go into my junk file. Uh, some stuff from my publisher and stuff like that that they were putting in junk, but I wanted it to come to my regular mail. And so uh, Tyler said, sure, we can change the settings a little bit so that you know, that, that comes to you. Well, all of a sudden, into my junk file, I started getting all these hot Asian chicks now kind of thing, right? And, uh, and there, was an- <laughs> there was another one. It was like, uh, um, beautiful Russian girls want to meet you now. And, of course, I mean, you don't even have to open them. Just the, the email, the preview, there's plenty of photos of the, of the women, right? And um, let's say they're not, they're, not, they're not dressed for winter in Moscow, if you know what I mean. You, you understand what I'm saying? I mean, it's just, pow, man. It's just, I mean, you just, and it's there, right? What about, what about business? What about, what about uh, uh, office sexual banter? Uh, jokes, uh, spending, working long hours, time together, all that kind of stuff. It's just there, right? There's all kinds of sexual temptation. There's all kinds of risk. So how do we reduce the risk of succumbing? I know I'm going to, I know I'm going to face sexual temptation. How do I reduce the risk of giving into that sexual uh, temptation? Let me give you three words. Location, isolation, limitation. Location, isolation, limitation. You have to, and this is, is a, this is just an effort that we have to make in our lives. If we know there's sexual temptation out there, we have to think about our location. Am I, am I allowing myself to be at places at times alone where I should not be? Am I, am I in front of my computer uh, for long hours or, or late into the night? And if I am, does my wife have access to look at my Look at my, at my web searches. By the way, baby, if you happen to look at my web searches and see a web search for websites uh, to, to cheat on your spouse on, it's only because I couldn't remember the name of that AshleyMadison.com. <laughs> I went looking for the name of that website. So just want to clarify there. So, so... Right? I mean, does, does your spouse, does a, does a trusted friend, does somebody, you know, do they, are they holding you accountable in some way in your life? Or, are, are you in some way 
uh, in a location where you should not be? Or are you isolated in a way that you should not be? You may have to do business trips from time to time. A lot of people in the, in the current economy and culture in which we live, you have to travel and do business trips. Okay, fine. You may have to do business trips with people of the opposite sex that you work with. Okay, fine. You may have to do that. But, but you have to guard yourself about being in situations where you find yourself alone with them. You just, you just do if you're going to say, all right, God's got a different standard. God's calling me to do it differently. If I want to hold to this, then, then I've got I've to think about this. Listen, if, if you're off on a business trip with somebody of the opposite sex and, and, and they say, hey, you know, we've worked all day. It's been a long day or whatever. We've been doing training or something. Let, let's, let's go have dinner. Listen to me. If there's not a third person to go, just say no and have dinner in your hotel room alone. Come on, play dinner. It's just dinner. What does that hurt? Probably, probably nothing. But it only takes one time to wreck your life. It only takes one time. And, and, and you can think I'm silly. But listen, I, I, I'm no expert at this. I'm not. I'm no expert at this. But I would venture to say that the majority of, of uh, infidelity that takes place in the workplace or wherever it does, that the majority of infidelity that takes place does not take place by saying, Hi, I'm Clay Stevens. It's nice to meet you. Would you like to sleep together? No. It takes place by spending time together, by laughing by looking at each other, by, by meeting a need in that person's life, by meeting an emotional need in their life, by, by answering a question, by, by being concerned, by uh, whatever the case may be. I'm just telling you. You add a bottle of wine into the mix at dinner, and if you're not really, really careful, you're going to be sharing more than dessert before the morning. I'm just telling you. Location. You've got to think about it. Where it's, is this a bad situation? Is it a place for isolation? Have I isolated myself in a way that, whether, it's, whether we're talking about pornography or a relationship with a person, or what, have I isolated myself in a way for, away from my spouse or away from somebody who can hold me accountable in a way that, that can hurt me? And limitation. In, in the words of Clint Eastwood, man's got to know his limitations. You and I have limited Men and women, we have limitations. Right? There are, first off, physical limitations. Listen, it is a proven fact that when you are physically, mentally exhausted, you tend to make, you and I tend to make uh, decisions that are, that are not good. That is, when we are physically and emotionally and, and uh, mentally tired, exhausted, worn out, that we can, oh, oh my gosh, what, what did I, how did, what was I thinking? You weren't. That was, the, that was the problem. You have physical limitations. You need to understand that. Don't put yourself in a place where, you know, wow, we've, we've flown all day and I've worked all day. And that, it, it's just, you, you, your guard can come down. You can make choices that, that are not good. Uh, physical limitations. There are also, of course, are sexual limitations. I said a moment ago, we are sexual creatures. God did create us as sexual creatures. He, 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 he created us. Uh, to enjoy the gift of sexuality that he gave to us, but he, he gave it to us to enjoy it within the parameters because that's where it's healthy physically, emotionally, psychologically, uh, in, in every way. He, he gave it to us to be enjoyed in that way. And so you have to understand, I, I, I do have physical limitations, and, and I have to understand that because once this is just the way it is. Men, women, we put ourselves in a situation, it's there's sexual banter, there's, there's whatever I'm watching on TV, there's whatever it is. And, and when that train pulls out of the station, folks, 
it's, it's not easy to stop it. You understand what I'm saying to you? You don't just put the genie back in the bottle once you've, once you've pushed to a certain point in, in, in your sexual drive. You have to understand that. Men, women, married, single, teenager, adult, whatever the case may be. And then finally, and most importantly, spiritual limitations. Listen, God has all the power you and I will ever need for victory over every giant in our life. Every circumstance, everything. God has all the power we ever need. The question is, am I spiritually at a place in my life where I'm connected or plugged into that power, where I can experience God's power? Or do you just assume, because you're a Christian, that you'll, you'll just, when the, when the time comes, you'll just make the right decision. You'll just make the right choice. No, you have limitations and you need to understand those limitations. Okay, so reducing your risk. That's just an idea. Some of the stuff that you can do, you can, you, you're always going to have temptation, but you, there is some risk reduction. Second, relationship production. Relationship production. Can y'all say that with me? Relationship production. Okay, I can reduce my risk, but I also can, can, can build up my relationships. There's a, so those of you who have been in the military, thank you for your service. Maybe you're familiar with a phrase. I, I'd not actually heard it before. I, I knew what it was, but uh, strategic offensive principle of war. The strategic offensive principle of war. I don't know if you know what that is or not, but basically to quote George Washington, he put it uh, like this. George Washington said, offensive operations as an army moving on the offensive Offensive operations oftentimes is the surest, if not the only, in some cases, means of defense. In, in football terms, the best defense is a good offense. In other words, okay, sure, I, I, there's some things defensively I can do. I can, I can reduce my risk of, of giving in to sexual temptation. But what can I do offensively? What can I do proactively to try and slow this down or, or not get in that situation to begin with? Well, one of the things I can do is I can begin to work on my relationships. I can build up my relationships. Give you uh, three more words. Here they are. Intimacy, transparency, and consistency. Intimate, intimacy, transparency, and consistently, first off, in your relationship with God. Ladies and gentlemen, it's got to start with God. You may love your spouse like crazy, but the right situation, the right circumstance, the right location, the right isolation, the right temptation, and you may find yourself making a mistake. So, so it's got to start with God. It's got to start with your intimacy with God. Listen, you don't just become a Christian and, and, you know, ask Jesus into your heart and like, whammo, I'm super Christian, able to leap tall temptations in a single bound. It, it, just, doesn't, it just doesn't work that way. You got to work at this thing. You're, you're, I'm talking about your spiritual growth, your connection to God, so that it becomes this, this intimate relationship. It's okay to use that term with God, that there's this closeness, this connection with God that, that keeps me, keeps me where, where he wants me to be because I, I don't want to disappoint him. I don't want to disappoint my spouse, but, but I, don't, I, don't want to, I don't want to disappoint God. Let me give you a couple passages of Scripture just to remind you this. In Ephesians chapter 4, but speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ. We've got to grow up. There's this process going on. Ephesians 6, you probably are familiar with this. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you'll be able to stand. Notice that those are imperative commands that you've got to do this. God's armor so that you'll be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. 
You've got to take this on. You've got to build up your relationship with God. One more real quickly, Second Peter chapter 3. You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, be on your guard so that you are not carried away by the error of unprincipled men and fall from your own steadfastness. But, say it, grow in grace. Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now to the day of eternity. Amen. So this intimacy between me and God, I have to work at this thing and I have to be. And, and, and transparency. Listen, you're struggling with an area? Talk to God about it. Because he doesn't know? Of course not. He's God. He knows everything. But because communicating, God, I'm struggling with this or God man, that, that television sucked me in and I was watching stuff I should not have been watching. Uh, being transparent with God about that shows something. It shows humility. It shows brokenness. And it shows a faith in God that he actually can empower you to have victory in this area of your life. And consistency. You've got to get up and do it again tomorrow. You've got you to put on that armor again tomorrow. You've got you to work at growing in, in, in grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ tomorrow. You've got to keep doing it consistently to grow in this relationship so that, so that his power and his strength is in you so that when the temptation comes, you understand what I'm saying? And, and intimacy, transparency, and consistency with your spouse if you're married. There needs to be intimacy with your spouse. If you're married, there needs to be intimacy. If you're going to be married, if you plan to be married, if you hope to be married, then with your spouse, there needs to be intimacy in both the, the, uh, the emotional aspect of it, the side that guys tend to struggle with. Can I get an amen? And the physical side of it, which, which wives sometimes can struggle with the, the physical aspect of the intimacy between a, a husband and a wife. You got to work at it, Right? You got to work at it. You got to. You got to. You got to communicate. You got to be transparent. You got to say what's going on, or how you're feeling, or what you're thinking, or struggles that you're having, or whatever. You got to do it, right? And you got to be consistent at it. You got to say, "Man, this this person I, I want to spend. This person I want to honor with my life. This person I want to want to be be sexually active with." Because it is it, it, that is what God intended. If you're if you're married, if you're going to be married, it is what God intended. It's a precious gift. But you got to work at it. You got to work at it. So. If you're married, if you want to help defeat temptation, have more sex with your spouse. All right, all right, that's what I'm talking about. I knew somebody was going to come through on that one. Not, not just the physical, but, you know, there, there is something intimate, sexual, about emotional intimacy and connection that's going on. There, need, there needs to be active and vibrant and working in, in my relationship with my spouse. Okay, uh, all right, real quickly, uh, we're, we're going to close, but I, I, wanna, I just want to give you this last thing. I want to read it to you so you can see the story. Uh, th- this, is, this is how it ends. It's, it's, don't cover up your sinful action. Don't, don't expose yourself to sexual temptation. Don't cover up your sinful action. L- listen, you just, you got to hear. The woman conceived and she sent and told David and said, I am pregnant. And then David sent to Joab saying, uh, send me Uriah the Hittite. So Joab sent Uriah uh, to David. When Uriah came to him, David asked concerning the welfare of Joab and the people in the state of the, the war. Do you understand what you hear what's going on here? Bathsheba, yeah, that's right, cover up. Bathsheba's pregnant. David, oh, oh, send me Uriah, the husband of Bathsheba. Then David said to Uriah, go down to your house, wash your feet. And Uriah went out of the king's house and a present from the king was sent out after him. But Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of the Lord and did not go down to his own house. 
Now, when they told David, saying, Uriah did not go down to his house, David said, Uriah, have you not come from your journey? Why did you not go down to your house? Do you hear the difference here? David, at this point, is thinking only physical. Uriah was a better man of God than David was at that moment. Uriah said to David, the ark and Israel and Judah are staying in temporary shelters, and my lord Joab and the servants of my lord are camping in the open field. Shall I then go, da- go to my house to eat and to drink and to lie with my wife? By your life and the life of your soul, I will not do this thing. What a man of integrity. Then David said to, to, to Uriah, stay here today uh, also and tomorrow and, and I'll let you go. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day and the next. Now David called him and he ate and drank before him and he made him drunk. And in the evening, he went out to lie on his bed with his Lord's servants, but he did not go down to his house. See, this is, this is plan B. Well, I'll get him drunk. And then, then, then he won't know. Then I'll send him down there. Now, in the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it uh, by the hand of Uriah. He had written in the letter saying, place Uriah at the front of the line of the fiercest battle and withdraw from him so that he may be struck down and die. Is that unbelievable? Remember, this is the same David. That's like, ah, who is this Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? This day, the Lord God Almighty shall deliver you into my hand. And the Lord does not deliver by sword or by spear, but by the hand of the Lord. I mean, this is the same guy who tries to, who, 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 who lusts after a woman, brings her to his house, commits adultery with her, gets her pregnant, tries to cover it up by bringing Uriah down to sleep with her so, so that she turns up pregnant. He's like, oh, it's, well, Uriah's, of course. And Uriah won't do it. He's got too much honor to do that while the other guys are out at war. So then he tries to get him drunk and he still won't do it. So then he says, well, listen. And did you see, did you notice in there that he has Uriah? Did you see who delivered the letter to Joab? Uriah. He sends it by the hand of the, of the man that he's going to have murdered. He says, here, Uriah, send this note to the general. And the general opens it and says, put, put Uriah at the front of the fiercest battle and then pull back. And it works. He's murdered. He's killed in action. But he's really murdered. Here's the truth. I, I, I know I need to close this message. So let me just close it out with just two truths that you can see in David's life and that will be true in our life, folks, if, if we let this happen in our life. The first one is this. Sexual temptation will take you farther than you want to go. Do you think, do you think David ever... No, I don't think he did. I, I, I don't think David ever in thought in a million years that that night, assuming that it was a an accidental, casual glance across the rooftops to see that, does he ever dream at that moment that it's going to end in murder? Murder of one of his own men. That's what sexual temptation will do, ladies and gentlemen. It will take you farther than you want to go. I promise you, in the moment, in the, because sexual pleasure is pleasurable. Again, God designed it that way. But in that moment, in, in a, and caught up in all of it in a few fleeting moments of, of yielding to sexual temptation outside of God's design and outside of God's boundary. It, you may think in that moment, this is, this is great, this is amazing, this is whatever. I promise you, there'll come a point where you will wake up and say, how in the world did I get here? How did I let this happen? Which is the, the last idea then that uh, goes with it. Sexual temptation will cost you more than you want to pay. Listen, we don't have time to read it on. It goes on into chapter 12. David did eventually repent of his sin. He had, it, it took a long time. 
He drug it out. He lied. He tried to hide it. And it's an amazing story how God brought it out. But he eventually comes clean. He genuinely repents of his sin. He, he, he asks for God's forgiveness. He genuinely repents. And I believe that's what it was. And, I, and listen, God is still a God of forgiveness. He's still a God who, who heals. He's still a God who forgives. And David repented. And David was forgiven. But listen, David was never the same. He was never the same. His kingdom was never the same. God forgives, but there are consequences, ladies and gentlemen, to our actions. That's what you and I have to remember. There are consequences. David put things in motion that cost him. It cost him emotionally. It cost him family. It cost him financially. It cost him uh, politically. It cost him in every way, and that's what it will do. It will always cost you more than than you're willing to pay. At the moment, you may think, oh, yeah, this is going to be worth it, but it's not. I wish those statistics that we started with this morning, I wish they were not true, but, but I know that they are. I wish they weren't the same for the church, and I pray they're not the same for the church, but the statistics don't seem to bear that out. You and I are sexual creatures. It, it's okay to recognize that. It's okay to be attracted to uh, sexuality. But God's call is to say, hey, I've got a different plan, a different way for your sexuality to be expressed in a way that honors me and that will be the most healthy for you uh, emotionally, psychologically, physically, in every way. If you'll believe me and not what the world is trying to sell to you, you'll, you'll enjoy my gift of sexuality in an amazing way, but you got to do it my way. My prayer would be that all of us would recognize, hey, I know sexual temptation is going to come, but I can reduce my risk and I can go on the offensive. I can build up my relationship with God. I can build up my relationship with my spouse if I'm going to be married or or the spouse I'm going to be married to or whatever the case may be. And I don't have to yield. Being tempted is not a sin. Sexual temptation is not a sin. Yielding to it. That's what David did. You and I can learn from his failings. And when we fail, if we fail, we need to own it. We need to confess it. We need to say, God, I I blew it. We need to tell God, admit it to ourselves, admit it to God. And and if you're married, you need to admit it to your spouse. And it it won't be easy, but it's a whole lot easier than, than trying to live with a lie. As Pastor Clay pointed out in today's message, it wasn't that this giant was any stronger than the first giant David faced. It's that David was weaker. God desires that we live lives that honor Him, including in the area of our sexuality. Risk reduction and relational production are two keys to having victory over sexual temptation. There are things we can do to reduce the risk of being tempted. And as Pastor Clay reminded us today, we can go on the offensive by building our relationship with God and with our spouse if we're married. We're glad you joined us for this week's message on Crosswalk. Pastor Clay is the author of the book, I Get It, Discovering How to Really Live in the Promises of God. My prayer is that God would use it to help some people understand a few things about what it really takes to live in the promises of God. God wants you to live a life of peace and purpose and meaning and hope and fulfillment and contentment. He wants you to live a life without fear and without anxiety. Many people at some point in their life feel disconnected with the type of life and faith they read about in the Bible and what their lives look like on a daily basis. What is it that we're missing? What is it that we're not getting. If I'm not really living in the promises of God, why is that? That's what this book explores. I Get It is available online in electronic versions for the Nook and Kindle, as well as paperback from Amazon.com. And ask for it by name at your favorite local bookstore. You can go in bookstores and just say, hey, uh, have you got a book in here uh, entitled I Get It from Clay Stevens? They can order this book out of their catalogs that they get. Get your copy today. Discover the promises of God and the steps you need to take to get it. And join us here each week online for another Crosswalk message. 
God has invited us to know Him through His Word, the Bible, a perfect record of God's revelation to man and applicable for every area of our lives. And if you're in the Raleigh area, we invite you to be a part of cross-culture worship. We meet at 1030 every Sunday morning at the Leesville Road High School, a mile and a half south of I-540, exit 7. We're a church, but instead of religion, we're about relationships, and instead of rituals, we practice realness. Our desire is to be used by God to show people that a life built on the finished work of Christ on the cross is where they will find what they're searching for. Learn more about us, who we are, what we're about, what we do, and what we believe. Visit us online at crossculturelife.org. I'm not the water, I'm not the bread, but I know the place where your soul is fed. So hungry and thirsty, come and be blessed. I want to lead you to the cross. new church for people like you. Cross Culture Church, taking the cross to our culture and taking our culture to the cross.